My name is Nicholas Nicario, and you're listening to Microphones of Madness. Hey everybody, Microphones of Madness, I'm Rodney, over there Steve. Hey now. And we are on part three of our discussion of Black Power, the superhero anthology, edited by Balagun Ojitade. Uh, the link will be in the description of the video, so you can uh, go over to Amazon, check it out. Um, now, overall, what do you think of this section, Steve? Um, it's, it's only getting stronger as it goes on. Um, three of these stories were fucking fantastic. And they, it's weird because they were really long stories, but I wasn't conscious of where I was in the story, and that's always a good sign. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, three, like you said, three of the stories, these, 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 they were fantastic, um, and they really showed what you can do with the prose medium and the superhero idea. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, let's, let's save that for the individual stories themselves. Let's jump right into it with uh, Glasscock by Cynthia Ward. Glasscock. Glasscock. Now, sadly, I really hate to say, you know, we read a lot of anthologies for the show. And every once in a while, you come up with a story that you, you can't finish. And Glasscock is one of those stories that I, I, I just could not finish. Clark Girl. Uh, yeah, and there's a there's a reason why we're doing all these Sean Connery impressions, and that is because this story is it's essentially it's it's essentially Goldfinger. It is Goldfinger. It's Goldfinger in space. Goldfinger in space. Um, now, first off, I don't really my, me personally, I don't consider James Bond to be a superhero. Uh, he definitely falls um, into yeah. that kind of pulp action kind of thing, but not a superhero. Thriller, right? Um, um, go ahead. Goldfinger, though, is my favorite James Bond movie, so <laughs> I wasn't like too terribly disappointed. But well, was, you know, my my thing about it was is okay. You know, we I read through it, and then I was like, okay, you know, Cynthia Ward, she's a, she's a good writer. Uh, spends spent a lot of time with the world building, a lot of time uh, naming things. Uh, telling us about the geopolitical situation in in this universe, but when it got down to the actual story part of it, it was Goldfinger, and there just wasn't enough originality to it to to keep me interested. So, I mean, it's it's unfortunate because to me, Goldfinger. I know everything about Goldfinger. Not like the ins and outs of the production and everything, but I've seen Goldfinger a lot. Mm-hmm. It's one of those movies that every time it's on, I'll just watch it. Right. Because it's, because it's Goldfinger. And uh, this was this was uh, almost scene for scene taken from Goldfinger. There were a couple things that were updated. Right. Um, even like the names, it was kind of yeah. Odd lot. Odd lot, yeah. Flash yeah. You like the the opening scene 
it's funny because you read the opening scene and it's at the casino mm-hmm. and uh, Boshkoch playing cards and he's got the, the woman spying with the binoculars and telling him what cards to play and what, is, what the other what his opponent has. The, uh, James Bond SP comes in. Um, he is uh, Janganjo Bumu or Bamu. And uh, I was like, oh, wow, this is this is like Goldfinger. And then it just kind of went on as, oh, it is Goldfinger. Right. And, you know, and you, you, you mentioned that it's James Bond XP. Uh, we've, we've, said, we've used the word XP a lot when we're talking about this book. And an XP is, for those of you who don't know, is a character that is created identical to a, a, a well-known existing character in order for a, a writer to uh, explore an aspect of that character or take a slightly different twist. And not get sued. And not get sued. Um, you know, there are several famous XBs, uh, you know, Apollo and Midnighter, for example, are Superman and Batman. Uh, the entirety of the Squadron Supreme is a, is a riff on the Justice League. Watchmen. Uh, Watchmen. The Watchmen and, are XBs of uh, the original Charlton heroes. Mm-hmm. Which so, is weird because at that point DC had owned that, and I think they used them because they didn't want to screw with their regular characters. Right. They didn't want to have. They didn't want to have the uh, original. You know, the actual Batman. DC Batman, Superman. You know, all these guys. Um, and Wonder Woman and whatnot. So, yeah, Moore said, okay, well, let me use the Charlton characters. And DC was like, well, no, we're starting to integrate these into the into the main DC universe. I believe Rorschach was supposed to be the question, and Denny O'Neill was doing a question series at that point in time. Well, and, and uh, you had the Blue Beetles gaining popularity in mm. Justice League International. Right. So yes, they didn't want to. They didn't want to like cut the throat of their cash cow or a right. cash cow. Correct, correct. Now, and it's it's one thing to create a character who is definitely an XP. I mean, James Bond and his personality traits, as we know him uh, through the films, primarily. Uh, I've read a few of the books. Yeah, is is well known enough that you can have this type of character. But I think it's and, and pushing it a little bit too far to create an XB that's a little bit different than James Bond, and you know, to and then put him in a well-known James Bond situation. Story. Yeah, it, it, Story. it was. There was nothing. There was nothing new coming to the table, um, except for effects, in, in, mm-hmm. essentially. So right. yeah, instead of a casino, it was in Florida. Or in Miami, that's where the original casino was, right? Um, you have a casino in, on a space station. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just setting an effects. Um, well, then there's yeah, the most there's, iconic scene in Goldfinger. Yes. Where Mr. Bond is strapped to the table and the laser is coming up. To, uh, sure, Goldfinger. You expect me to talk? Right. And, and it's played out in the story almost shot for shot. Yeah, word for word, and you know this. 
you know, it's it's nothing to slight Cynthia Ward's talent. It's just this probably was a, a not the best decision to make. Yeah, I just don't. Yeah, it's weird. You know, you can't can't get in the mind of who, who creates these things. I mean, it very well could have been she wanted to update Bond um, for. I mean, let's face it, Bond's pretty fucking white. Oh yeah. Oh, but yeah. you might have wanted to just simply update Bond for a broader audience. Possibly. Let us know what an Idris Elba James Bond would be like. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'd actually start going to see James Bond films again. Oh, well, definitely. <laughs> I haven't seen a James Bond film since... Uh, yeah, it might have been... It might have been Octopussy. Might have been the last one I watched in the theater. Now, I, I I don't think I've watched any James Bond films in the theater, but I've seen uh, two of the two of the Craig Bond films. I saw Casino Royale and uh, Quantum of Solace, and yeah, I, I kind of like kind of like Daniel Craig as James Bond. But yeah, we can have we can have anybody be James Bond. That's, yeah, I mean, there's, that's there's British, no of course. That's that's the thing right there is you have to be British, right? That's or be able to fake it well. So you have to be British. Be British. <laughs> essentially, you have to be British, right? Um, it's funny yeah. that you, we were talking about SP XPs and how they uh, how they're used because you and I often play X, XPs. In various role-playing games, I mean, yes. most of the characters that we make are, are based on something else that somebody else had done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and just giving them a little bit of a different personality and putting them in whatever situation that role-playing game's in. Right. But you know, and it's and it's easy because you have a character concept, and yeah, and and really, when you're talking about superheroes, when you're talking about even spy thrillers, even techno thrillers and things like this, you're kind of at, we're kind of at a point in that genre of fiction where pretty much any character you create is essentially going to be somewhat of an XP of another character. Oh yeah. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun with superheroes. It's all been done. Right. Right. Um, Like uh, there was that story. Yeah. There were, you know, a couple stories we mentioned in the earlier half of the book. Um, yeah, where we were talking about the XPs of the characters, like uh, the Crusader, we talked about in the the episode featuring Ninja Man, uh, right. who is an XP of Batman, particularly Frank Miller's Batman. Right, and and like like you're saying, it's there's nothing wrong with that. It has to be done. I mean, mm-hmm. probably in the '80s, I'd say, or whenever Spawn came out, uh, the '90s it was probably. 90s was probably the tipping point where there's nothing new. <laughs> well, yeah. Like, um, even Spawn is derivative and he was so, like, innovative. Yeah. Now, I will say this before before we move on. Um, you know, if, if Cynthia is listening. Like your style. Love your descriptions. Um, I would read this character if it were in a, a more original setting. I, and yeah, definitely. Like Thunderball. Sorry. <laughs> Just had to take it there. Just had to take it to that next level. Try to dis- try to say something nice. Um, 
and you just piss right on me. <laughs> I agree with you, though. Hey, there's nothing wrong with having that character. It's just the shot for shot retelling of Goldfinger right. that we had an issue with. Correct. All right. So next up on the list is Django Unplugged, a task story by Hannibal Tabu. Uh, there's also a note here right at the beginning that Task was created by Damian Gonzalez, Zach Farmer, and Conleaf Matthew. Yes. Uh, Task is uh, a, a proposed uh, shared universe uh, animated series, uh, probably multimedia project. And yeah, it kind of it kind of reminds me of the way the Avengers and Shield are handled. Um, yeah, kind of, a, kind of that sort of thing, a uh, continuous universe. So we get a story uh, by Hannibal Taboo pulled from this universe uh, featuring a character that he created. Uh, and really, this story is, is bang up. Uh, I remember saying in the first episode, I was looking for some, hoping for something a little silver agey. You know, with with weird science and aliens and all kinds of crazy shit, and you kind of got this with this story. This was this was kind of like a a tasting of of a little bit of a silver age kind of thing. Uh, although you watched the trailer for the cartoon series and and mentioned that it's kind of kind of nineties-y. It uh, is. It's got like that that uh, a that little bit of wildstorm in there. Yeah. 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 It's it just got like the action-y, metal-y music, uh, lots mm. of jump cuts. And yeah. Guns blazing, people shifting. Are there pouches? I didn't get to watch the trailer before we went on. It wasn't as pouchy. Okay. <laughs> and well, that's I, good. That's and good. They no, avoid the bad no part of the night. There's no voice acting, so I didn't know if they were very X-Men. Well, of course. The whole uh, X-Men series was spent with uh, characters shouting at each other. Yes. Very bigly. Bigly shouting. Um, now, one thing that I, I made a note of is Django gets absolutely no respect from anyone. They are constantly... He's the new kid. Well, he's the new kid, but it's not just that. It's, it's people that he meets on the street. Like, the captain uh, never refers to him by his name. No, you know, I mean, in fact, they they go as far as calling Jamie Fox. Yeah, I was getting to the point where I think he's walking around with a Jerry curl. Mm Hmm. Yeah, they kind of because I think they talk about the commonality between all of these nicknames that people are throwing at him is the Jerry curl, right? So, and I'll tell you, speaking of the nineties, um. It's probably deservedly so if he's sporting a jerry curl. Yeah, yeah, I I do kind of see that that kind of jerry curl mullet. Yeah, yeah. Um, shoot, uh, Mario Van Peebles, I think, sported that for a little while. Yeah, it was it was big. Now, do you remember the uh, uh, El Barge, I think, was one of the uh, one of the insults <laughs> they hurled at him. That's <laughs> Yeah, but this this poor guy gets, it, gets no respect. But um, you know, he's kind of an arrogant superhero. You know, he's he's 
he's got kind of a booster gold thing going on where you know he's this like he has like a an, a manager uh you know taking care of a lot of his 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 things rather than just being a random do-gooder like a lot of heroes he's very much a he you know Django his superhero identity is very much a brand for him he's handled yeah he's he's handled mm-hmm. um you get the feeling that he doesn't make many of his own decisions right but uh yeah i think this i think the story go ahead well it opens up with him making a speech and uh the the leader of task who i think this is great john henry mm-hmm. um acts a little surprised that he made the speech you know he wrote the speech himself right it's like yeah well you know i i kind of figured i'd borrow a little bit of my grandfather's cadences his grandfather he's he's also kind of a, a legacy hero of a sort because his grandfather is quetzalcoatl uh who is right. this like mystical hero yeah i think i got the impression that he wasn't human he was uh that he and his his uh, gene line were aliens that yes. were worshipped as, yeah. as deities. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's there there they are aliens, um, uh, aliens that mostly look human, but they have phenomenal powers, and they use and certain factions of them use use those powers to do good. Uh, Django is recruited by Task. This is his origin story of joining the team. Uh, he's already been a hero for quite some time. He is, uh, you know, contacted by by John Henry, and and later the tech specialist Glitch, who is a very Felicity Smoke slash Oracle type of character. Yeah, but she she's great because she's like, she is so much ahead of him in her thinking that she doesn't even realize how far behind he is. Right. Right, she's she's like trying to give him the mission details, and she's like stopping hackers in Hungary. She's like solved like four crimes in the time it takes him to even learn what his mission is. Right, and that sort of that sort of thing. Um, and pretty much the 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 idea here is there's an artifact buried under the city of St. Louis, and the evil mastermind guy has sent clones of one of his thuggish henchmen into the sewers to reclaim it, and being the closest and probably the most powerful available, uh, Django gets tasked by task with recovering this artifact himself. Well, Django is very OP in this. Um, And the the clever thing that um, Hannibal Tabu did with this story was force this OP superhero to power down. Yes. Which uh, is, is one of the techniques when you have a, a superhero like Superman mm-hmm. who is just be- beyond anything. Right. And can beat up anything. There's two ways to deal with it. You throw things greater than he is. So you, you have stories of attrition. Mm-hmm. Doomsday, Death of Superman, War World, right? Or you s- somehow contrive to power him down, right? And those those are always, if it's handled well, those are always the greatest stories. They, they, all the all those stories with the different colors of kryptonite, 
mm-hmm. in the Silver Age were, were fantastic. I mean, yeah, that's a little hokey. But, you know, to depower him or to make him forget who he is or to turn him evil or right. whatever, mm-hmm. whatever that particular color did, it effectively just made it into a readable story. Right. Or, or the, the Luthor death trap. You know, you're in this room, but if you, I know you're strong enough to rip the door off the hinges, but if you rip the door off the hinges, a bomb's going to go off in the next room and kill all these other people. Right. So, you know, Superman's got to figure his way out of it without using all of his full powers or using the powers he has creatively. Right. And so story. Hannibal does this by uh, creating a gas leak. Because Django can teleport, which means he can be all over the sewers in a matter of seconds. However, when he does so, he creates lightning. Kind of like Shazam. So, yeah, he uh, fills the sewers of St. Louis with natural gas. So he can't go teleporting around everywhere. Well, he could, but he keeps on getting reminded by uh, his contact on the outside, who's a police officer, that I live here and I want to continue living here. And right. continue living, and, and he gets he gets paired with probably one of the most one of the one of the more entertaining tropes is the the old cop, you know, and yeah. you get this sassy old cop, and you get this idea that you know every once in a while the camera will cut to him and he'll say something like, "I'm two days from retirement," right? <laughs> I'm too old for this shit, and stuff like that. Um. But yeah, they have a little bit of a rapport between uh, the cop. I believe the uh, what was the yeah, cop's they name? Bishop. Nick. They called him early nineties. Early nineties Bishop. <laughs> I was the one that was, I was like, oh, Jerry Curl. Yep. Oh <laughs> damn, man! Early nineties Bishop. Jeez. Oh, um, sorry. Yeah. No, that's part of the story. I mean, that's that's part of the rapport between the two characters, is that you have. The cop oh, his almost, name is Callahan. Is, yep, his name is Callahan. So, you know, he's he's a... You, you can, you know, if this was back in the older days, you could imagine, don't you be blowing up St. Louis now. I live here. Or it could have been the other Callahan. Don't you be blowing up St. Louis. No, see, I don't, I I don't, I don't see this. I don't see... This is being like a Clint Eastwood type of character. I see this as more being uh, uh, kind of like the the cop from Batman, the television series. Or, or O'Hara? Yeah, O'Hara. Chief O'Hara. Or uh, even maybe Harvey Bullock to an extent. This is, the, this is the... He's got the microphone in one hand and a donut in the other. And you know, that sort of thing. That's why he's got the microphone because he's he's the senior officer on the scene, and his waistline proves possibly it. the only one that didn't flee. Right, and and so he kind of acts as a Jiminy Cricket in, of sorts because you know any time that that Django is getting ready to lose his temper and just go after these guys like screw the people of this city, I don't give a fuck about them. I want to get out of here. I want to go home. I'm trudging through shit. And he Barefoot. does have a reputation for being a hothead. Right. And so Callahan's in his ear. He's like, no, no, you know, remember, this is a neighborhood, this is a residential district, don't go down there showboating with all your electrical powers. 
So what we get is we get almost kind of a, a, a dungeon crawl of sorts where the Django is forced to wander through these sewers and you flash back picking over. Off, picking off clones one by one. Mm-hmm. And, Metal you know, Gear Solids. Uh, right, or just, you know, hand-to-hand. Which, you know, the, the villain that he, he's chosen is a good uh, one to use for this type of thing. He's, he's kind of, he's not very bright, uh, but he's super strong and, and has a healing factor. He's not like a big English meathead. Right, so he's, he's Vinnie Jones, essentially. Oi! Right. The soccer hooligan with powers. Exactly. And, you know, so we get to see, oh, they're clones. All right, well, then I don't have to hold back that much. So he gets a little bit of a respite from, from okay, you know, being in a world made of cardboard. To quote Superman. Right. And then, you know, we eventually get to, you know, the challenge of it, and that's fighting the real version of, of this guy. And right. recovering. And, and that's, the, where he gets, that's where he gets to be clever. That's where he gets right. to get out of the Luther death trap, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I'm using his brains and his powers instead of just using his powers. Right. And that's that's one of the things. And and you know he rescues a, a street urchin and then goes to check on her and all that stuff. So yeah, it's it's all all around. It's kind of a growing up story for Django as a character. Uh, it has that real superhero vibe to it. Um, you know, and he, it yeah Hannibal does very well translating the visual medium into the prose media. Right. And and you get some hints of the larger universe, some some uh task is all about. Um you, you get the feeling that Task actually cares and cleans up after themselves as opposed to other superhero groups with yeah. uh bigger maybe they have like that maybe the Avengers or the JLA, I don't know. That uh you know that the municipalities deal with the the after right right they have they have their own counselors that come in after you know like they have you know, trauma counselors and and they set up scholarships for people who are affected by these battles and, and things like that so task really gets down in, in, in on the street level rather than being this like monolithic group of gods floating above the world and coming down to wreck shit whenever there's a problem right you know like the jla you, not- like you wouldn't get the civil war with task. Right. You wouldn't get civil war with task. You wouldn't get uh, the end of man of steel. They essentially destroy uh, half of metropolis during lunch hour. Well, right. And, and you get the sense that if half of metropolis was destroyed, they come by and take care of it. Right. Right. But they also have that thing where they, they uh, one of their rules is to try to mitigate as much collateral damage as possible. Right. It, it's, it's funny that, just as a slight digression, 
in the Flash, the beginning of Flash season two, mm-hmm. Barry Allen is rebuilding Central City at night by himself. Right. Using his powers. And you, and you, right. And you get the sense that, that the task, the members of task also um, have this sense of civic responsibility that mm-hmm. you don't have with the JLA or the Avengers. Right. Right. You know, or, or even, or even Batman, you know, oh, yeah. you know, Batman and the Joker get in a fight, a building gets blown up. The Wayne foundation comes in, buys the land and says, we're going to build a new thing here. And guess what? You guys are going to live rent free. Well, that's, that happened right. a while ago. It doesn't happen anymore. That's well, it doesn't happen anymore, right. but, but you know what I mean? Right. And that, yeah, it calls back to that, that era of comics where, yeah, the superheroes had not only did they have the responsibility to protect the world from these superhuman threats, but they also had a civic responsibility to the people that they protected. Right. Um, to, you know, make sure nothing was damaged and if something was damaged to help take care of it once it was done. Right. Because, you know, Superman could have built rebuilt Metropolis, but Yeah, of course he's freaking Superman. Right. But yeah, this was a, this was an excellent story. Uh, the next up on the list is Nikia the Pandora by Lance Oliver Keeble. Now this this story yes. was was a short one. Uh, it's probably the shortest of the this group, and it really kind of felt like a, a backup story in a in a like an anthology series. Right. You have a. Uh... A generational hero who is Pandora, the Pandora, right? Who is uh, basically the epitome of, of womanhood. Yes. And this is her. This particular Pandora, um, who is Nikita, that's her civilian name. Um, this is her last adventure before the mantle was passed on to the next um, right. holder of the position. She's gonna. She's going getting ready to settle down, get married, start a family. You know, she's she's earned it, essentially, by being this. Now, the Pandora as a hero is one of those one of those types of uh, mystical heroes that deals out karmic justice, not legal justice. Right. Uh, their their powers are they each have boxes. Uh, that contain various horrible things that are situational to the person who uh, yeah. they're, who they're fighting. Boxes of poetic justice. Yes, more or less. Right. But uh, yeah, it's definitely karmic justice. And what we find here in this story is that Pandora has been, or Nikia has been captured by this villain called the Black Russian. Um, who is like an MRA, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, well, he's a little bit more than an MRA. He is like um, of mixed lineage. I think mm-hmm. his mother was black and his father was white. And right. His father was Ru- Russian. Mm-hmm. And he denies his um, African heritage. Yes. As well. In, in favor of his Russian heritage. Uh, and to also the, denies uh, women. Period. He hates one as well. Right. 
with Peace War. And this this story is actually rather brutal. It's probably one of the more brutal uh, stories in the book uh, because the entire the entirety of the story, all of the action takes place really within a few minutes. And of, of her getting tortured, right? She's yeah. getting she's getting tortured by by the Black Russian, and meanwhile she's trying to come up with a plan to escape, and she pretty much you know figures out his what his weakness is and unleashes hell upon him. Yeah. Quite literally. Yep. Yeah. And um, yeah, I was like, you know, my note on the story is that was kind of a savage way to defeat a villain. You know, and it's very reminiscent of like uh, the Spectre. Yeah. Yep. Doctor Fate. Doctor Fate. Those old, um, those old school Golden yeah, Age. Those golden age heroes that just dealt out this cosmic justice rather than a, you know, yeah. like Barry yeah. Allen dragging you to jail. It's, you know, you will be eaten alive by ants for all eternity because right. you treated people like, like insects. An EC Comics horror um, vignette, like Creepshow mm-hmm. or Tales from the Crypt, or you know, it's got that or twist, that twisty ending with. You know the apt punishment for the, the yeah. Villain. Now, now, did you watch the uh, Shazam versus Black Adam DC animation? Mm, maybe a while ago. Okay, there was a series of shorts attached to that. The, the showcase shorts, and there I've was a number. Of them. Yeah, there there is the There's the Spectre one. There's a Doctor oh, no, Fate one. Spectre one. There's a Spectre one, and the Spectre gives the uh, bad guy a death of a thousand cuts with. The money he stole, you know, and it's that kind of that kind of justice in this story. Yeah, and that that that's like stuff that you know happened in like old like golden age, even like early silver age fifties comics. You would get a lot of that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because you know, people that's people love to see people getting their just desserts. Right. Well, even Batman, like early Batman, used to do shit like that. Yeah. You know, he he drop a, a guy into a vat of chemicals because you know the guy was using his chemical syndicate to to uh, rip off his partners. Yeah. Back in the day and when the Batman was just a, an XP of the shadow. A fitting end. Broody, broody, off into the darkness. He wasn't as much broody, he was just more... Okay. Droppy, droppy. Yeah. Uh, next up is Shadow Boxer, Neutral Corners. And forgive me if I mangle your name. I do this all the time. I forgot to ask for the proper pronunciation. Ade Atoshe... J. Heru. Yeah. I'm, I'm, Again, I'm sorry if I if I mangled that. My 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 uh, mispronunciation aside, this is also one of the best stories in the book. Uh, yeah. It also had that kind of that kind of Silver Age uh, mentality to it it also had oh, a, a features a hero with a civic responsibility yeah um uh, and it's got like a it's it's not an origin story but it 
touches upon the origin story and it's mm-hmm. classic. Yeah, classic origin story. I mean, what we we get it's kind of a flashback, and we're dealing with the character, uh, you know, as an older and experienced hero. Uh, and we have what we have is a gentleman who was a professional boxer uh, turned vigilante. He opened. He's he's got a gym uh, where you know the neighborhood kids come and they work out and they learn to box and he kind of mentors them. And when the sun goes down, he puts on a costume and goes out on patrol and beats up bad guys. Uh, very similar to uh, that golden age hero Wildcat. Right. Um. Yeah, and, and I, I I really really liked it. I liked how uh, they brought in the fact that he was a member of a of a you know a society of superheroes. Um, you know, they mentioned that you know yeah he patrols all over the city, but really he kind of st- primarily sticks to the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And all the action takes place mainly in the neighborhood, uh, where his mentoring of some of the kids in the neighborhood actually turns into. Uh, some of his superhero exploits. Right. Yeah, he's kind of a... He's, he's got one superpower. Yep, he can see in the dark. Little, he can see in the dark. Little Dr. Midnight. Little Doctor... He's, he's almost kind of like... Um, it's, it's a very convoluted devil. It's like, what if Daredevil's mm-hmm. father didn't take the, the classic dive that he took? And, right. Or... You know, was able to fight back. So yeah, and it, it was nice. It, enough, enough of it was familiar mm-hmm. that you can uh, latch onto it, and enough of it was fresh where you want to read more. Right. Yeah. And I really like this character. This character, you know, and and we mentioned the fact that he's an older superhero. So you know, he's always got this. He's got this. Uh, you don't want to do that, son. Kind of thing going on. <laughs> It's like I've been, I've been, in, always I've been scrapping since you were in diapers, kid. <laughs> that always works. No yeah, but I, I persuade them all. yeah. Well, actually, he did make that persuade roll. That was more of an intimidation roll. Yeah, true. But you know, and I, I like that type of character. Um, you know, like like I said, that's one of the reasons, one of the ways it reminded me of uh, the Ted Grant character in like uh, Justice League Unlimited. You know, mm-hmm. being kind of that that father figure, that mentor type of character, but still, you know, a very potent hero in his own right. Right. And yeah, um, we get a lot of that, and then we have, you know, that whole thing where you have to challenge the hero. You know, it can't be. You know, he just like cleans up a bunch of thugs with an intimidation roll, or just cleans house uh, with his fists. You know, they got to give him something a little more, a little more powerful, and they do. It's something that's substantial that is a challenge that not only challenges the hero physically, but mentally or morally. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, it's it's a little bit of the moral challenge. It's also a mental challenge. Yeah. And a physical challenge. It's, it challenges him on all three respects. Because, it's you know, first off, you know, he fails the physical challenge. You know, so he blindly rushes in. He fails the physical challenge. Then he succeeds in the mental challenge 
because he has to outsmart this character who has clearly outclassed him as far as strength. And then you have the moral challenge. The and it's it's a classic trope. You've got the bad guy dangling over the side of the roof. Well, not only that, but he also had his um, his protege, the, his named um, student, mm-hmm. had was was basically put on display for him. Right. And and he had to make moral challenges based on what his what his favorite student was going to do. Mm-hmm. You know, the kid that he saw himself in. Right. Right. And and, 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 and where that character passed a moral test as well. Barely. 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 Then it kind of makes you wonder, you know, in, in the future of the shadow boxer world, you know, does he get a kid sidekick? Yeah, is that Robin? Yeah. Uh, corner man, I don't know. Corner man. You got to keep with a boxing theme, I guess. Punching bag. Water boy. Yeah, no. Towel. <laughs> Robin. Robin only became Robin because Batman originally thought his name should be Bait. Right. Bait man. The boy hostage. <laughs> Exactly. Why do you think I put you in a red costume? So they can see you. Yeah, so yeah, another another bang-up story. And the last one we have is kind of a gut-puncher story. We have Black Licorice. Yeah. Uh, which, again, we're dealing with an older, experienced hero. Um, and this story really starts us off in the aftermath of what happens when a superhero is outed. It's, it's all the superheroes with secret identities. It's their greatest fear. Spider-Man, you know, talks about it a lot. Superman talks about it. Batman talks about it. It's kind of weird that Batman cares because Batman really has nobody. Bruce Wayne has nobody. And he has nobody because he's afraid that if somebody found out who he was, they'd go after him. And that shit happens to him fairly regularly. Back, back in the day, he had people. Back when it mattered whether he had a secret identity or not. Right. These days, it doesn't really matter because he has nobody and has pushed everybody completely away from him. He's pushed everybody completely away from him, and they made Alfred like a former SAS guy so he can take care of himself. Yeah. If we haven't said this on the show before, you can say it now. Um, fuck Batman. And that means a lot coming from Steve, being that Batman is like his favorite character. I have a fucking Batman tattoo. Fuck Batman. Right. But, yeah, and this story, uh, you know, deals with it like a character. He's got super strength. He's got superpowers. But the, uh, the only thin line between him and... The, the bad guys was the mask. Nobody knew who he was. Yes. Right. And then and, and, uh, Lois Lane found out. Lois Lane found out, essentially an investigative reporter, uh, discovered his secret identity, and even though the papers would not publish it because it's like, look, do you know what this will do? And, and warning and warning and warning, and then she dumps all of the information on the internet. The bad guys find out, 
And not even the good bad guys, like the C-list bad guys, find out. And they go. Right. The good bad guys couldn't care less. Right. The good bad guys, you know, they they didn't care. They don't they don't fucking watch the internet, and and they probably knew already anyway. And it wasn't about you know attacking him there. They wanted to you know there were there's usually in the good bad guys, like the A-list bad guys, your jokers, your penguins, there's, and stuff like that. Some sort of rule nobility thing going on. Right. There's there's kind of a code of honor that you know if I defeat. X superhero, it's because I beat X superhero. Right. Not, you know, unless you're Bane, uh, who elevated himself to A list bad guy because he broke Batman. Um, so he beat yeah, him even like, and physically. Even like lunatics like the Joker, there's the classic story um, from Mad Love, was it? Where, or no, it was the. Where Harley, Harley Quinn. Gets Batman, trusses him up using one of the Joker's. Uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I don't know if that's in Mad and, Love, but I know it's in uh, the animated series. It is, and I, and they, I think they they adapted it to their uh, Batman Adventures as well. Mm-hmm. No one and, gets and, to kill Batman, but me. And that's exactly it. he goes and frees Batman because <laughs> it wasn't his. It was his scheme, but it wasn't him. Right. He didn't do it. it, it yeah. His. His, his ego wouldn't let him. His ego wouldn't let him. And that's the way a lot of it is with uh, uh, the A-list villains of a lot of superhero stories is that their ego will not let them. They, they think of that as below them to sink to that level to go after his family and things like that. So the C-list bad guys go after his family. They find out where it depends on, on the day because in uh, Batman... Uh, the Return of the Joker. Right. You find out that he did go after Batman's family eventually. Right, and and Green Goblin went after Aunt May. Oh, well, Green Goblin Venom. went after. Uh, yeah, well, Green Goblin went after fucking uh, Gwen Stacy. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, and that's that's probably the most and the, classic story. And the Vulture went after. And the Vulture went after Aunt May. Right. And then, of course, Venom, that, being an A-list yeah. Spider-Man villain, always attacks Spider-Man through his 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 right. identity. So you know, you have some exceptions to the rule, so you can create drama in these stories. What happens when you know the sadist, the most sadistic and evil of this hero's foes goes after the family? But in this case, right. it's it's worse than that because it's the C-list villains. It's the the powerless gang members uh, who go after they they catch the family and you know coming out of school yeah it was unnamed schmoes right who would be mooks in any other story right but like you know um, this guy well, what was his name night shift uh, night siege night siege night chief could yeah he can plow through mooks. But his wife and kid can't. Right. Exactly. And so they attack him when he's weakest. Weakest. It's bad. <coughs> Excuse me. It was bad enough that his identity was revealed to the world. You know, but when the C-list bad guys sat there. And it also kind of takes a dig at the, the social media age because uh, the villains savagely beat Night Siege's wife and child to death in a 
parking in the street while people stood on the sidewalk videotaping it with their cameras and posting that shit to YouTube. Yeah. Not explicitly YouTube, but... The internet. And not doing anything about it. Right. And not doing anything and about it. Almost and as, almost as much as him losing his family, what drove him over the edge was the fact that nobody did anything about it. And he has put his life on the line countless times to save... And the people within the city. Right. This is not the New Yorkers in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man film, where the New Yorkers start throwing bricks and shit at uh, Green Goblin. You know, we're New Yorkers. Yeah, no. You mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. And, uh, or... No. Or the Amazing Spider-Man. It's more... Where the construction workers adjust all the cranes in the city. So Spider-Man has a straight shot. To get to the I lizard. Saw that one. Oh, that's actually a great scene. I'll tell you about it afterwards. All right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's this city. This city is kind of like self-absorbed, and and yeah, I mean, he loses. But, it's you know, probably the worst a superhero could face because he loses his reason for being a hero in the first place. Right. It was his son. His son knew he had yeah. powers and told him to be a hero. Mm-hmm. And then the, the damn people he was trying to protect didn't do anything, didn't lift a finger to help. And, you know, that, and that, that, like I said, that hurt almost as much as losing his family mm-hmm. because they could have helped. And, may, yeah, maybe a couple of them would have gotten hurt, but they could have helped. Right. And, and um, the yeah, sad so, thing is, it's probably the more realistic outcome than all the New Yorkers throwing bricks at the bad guys. Those people probably would just like put up their phones and film it mm-hmm. and not do anything about it. Oh, sure, sure. You know, especially if any of them, any of the thugs had powers. I think they might have said something about some of those guys. They were minor, but they were still superhumans. Superiors. Um, superiors. Um, yeah, and so we get, you know, it's almost this kind of classic, you get almost kind of a Punisher type of uh, scene going on here early in the story where he just goes to pick up some, you know, food because, you know, he's in a convenience store. Yeah, he's in a convenience store, the party store, they call it. Um, and the store gets robbed and he's forced to. To use his powers to stop the robbery. Right. And thus outing himself. Thus outing himself, you know, as still being around. He is pretty much laying low all this time. Um, but he ends up, up causing a personal vendetta by killing the little brother of a well known, very powerful superior. Yeah. Uh, who had pretty much taken taken advantage. Right. Yep. Uh, pretty much had taken taken over the whole city, the underworld, you know, in, in the vacuum created by Night Siege not being around. Mm-hmm. And part of his rise to power was because Night Siege was operating and taking out all these other gangs and even taking out some of his low-level guys. But, yeah, just making it hard for him to consolidate power. Right. But in his absence, they, he was able never to... Actually, 
right? They never actually clashed. Um, and it probably would have happened eventually. And uh, Night Siege certainly had contingencies um, for that clash. Uh-huh. But uh, they, they had never met before. Mm-hmm. Mono and mono. Right. And this is this story continues with it being this clash. And you have... You have almost this die-hard moment where, you know, the the villain his name is uh, Detonator, yeah, you know, which is a great old-fashioned superhero name. Uh, rigs an entire building, an entire skyscraper to explode with everyone inside if Night Siege doesn't come and fight him. And Night Siege doesn't want to fight him, and he's ready. He's ready to just let let it all be like written off as a wash because nobody in the city helped his family when they would be right it's like why should i save this damn city when y'all did nothing for me and then we have a bit of the uh we have a bit of the batman soliloquy going on here where he stops in front of a mirror and he has a conversation with his dead wife and son You know, that, that, that little inspirational thing. It's like, you know, but they didn't save you. They Who do you think they are? That's you? That's not the point. That's not, not the, the point. point. <laughs> right. And, and so, yeah, he has to go through this period of this brief period because time is of the essence of right. soul searching and, and reclaim that part of him that was a hero that, that he thought had gone gone away with the death of his son. And yeah, and black licorice, the title, uh, has a special meaning, and I'm not going to spoil it because you know it's it's kind of it's kind of sweet. Yeah, it's it's a nice little epilogue to how the story goes. Yeah, and and really, this this story. I mean, even though even though uh, Keith Gaston, I'm, we forgot to say his name. Yes, sorry. Uh, at the beginning, captures. I mean, he uh, once again. This is another another writer who's able to capture that world of comic books in prose. Yeah, pacing, feel, description. Uh, he, he very well versed in combining the mediums. Uh, I think this would work really well as a one shot graphic novel. I mean, it is a complete and self contained story. You, know, you don't really need anything before it. You don't really need to know about his continuing adventures afterwards. This one moment in time works out so well. Yep. And yeah, I, it, you it know, this would be a movie. yeah, it would be a great movie. I think uh, it would also be a great, like I said, one shot graphic novel, a great movie. Uh, yeah, even even as a mini series, it would it would work out well. So there you have it. The next five. Uh, next time around, we'll be looking at the final five stories in this anthology. And we hope to see you then. Yeah. It's, it's great because this is just getting better and better as it goes along. That's just, right. And just like, just you, like any you gotta good hand it to thing. You got to hand it to, to Baladin for uh, putting it together in such a... Uh, a well-crafted way. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Yep. Only only one we could really consider to be a flub, and you know, right? And you know, your mileage may vary as you read this book. You yeah, might read well, it and go, you know, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, and and like you said before, it's not that it was a horrible mess. It just was form of yeah of being Goldfinger. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, until then, we'll see you next time.